Thank you for listening to Waterstone Community Church. We hope you are enjoying God's word proclaimed. We are a growing movement of transformed people, reshaping the culture to reflect God's heart. Merry Christmas, and may God bless your 2019. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, we celebrate the gift of God's Son. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Beneath the surface of your story is an inescapable fact. You entered this world as vulnerable as any one of us in order to nail that vulnerability to the cross. Our fears, our insecurities, and our sins, all that can separate us from God, exchanged by your grace for love. We cannot comprehend the reasoning, only marvel that salvation comes to us through a baby born in a stable who reaches out to a world in need. Circle us, Lord. Circle this world with the joy of your salvation. Where there is sickness and disease, bring healing. Where there is hunger and despair, bring hope. Where there is torture and oppression, bring release. Lord of creation, Lord of salvation, circle this world with the light of your presence. Let's pray together. Father, it is awesome to uh, gather together this morning and and to begin to reflect and think about uh, the birth of your son and what we have been given. Lord, help us to uh, capture that this this morning Uh, um, in in perhaps... uh, ways we, we know but sometimes forget so that it has uh, meaning in our lives and our hearts. We, we pray that that would happen this morning as we talk about the gift of Christ, the gift of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, Billy asked you what your favorite Christmas carol was. I want to ask you, what's been your favorite Christmas gift? Uh, when you were small, you know, before you were 10. Share with your neighbor what it was. What's the best gift you've gotten for Christmas? Fire truck. (laughs) Fire truck. (laughs) Uh Anybody hear anything weird? Somebody last night said a hockey stick. I don't know. What'd you hear? Favorite gift? A bike? Yeah. I don't know what that is, but I'm sure it made you happy. <laughs> what else? Nerf guns. Yeah. How many got Nintendos? And that was it. Yeah, I knew that one would come up. Xbox. Uh, anything else? Two stood out to me. One was a, uh, 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 a model engine. This thing was so cool because you had to put it all together. But when you got it together, it actually worked. I mean, it, it went around, the pistons went up, down, the valves opened, and it had little lights that were the spark plugs. And that's how I learned how uh, an engine works. 
That was a great gift. I had one other, and this was a little, when I was a bit younger, it was the Rifleman Ranch set. I know, that kind of dates me, doesn't it? I was looking on eBay to see if I could find one, and I I discovered their antiques and collector's items. I wish I had kept mine, because I found one, and it was almost 300 bucks for plastic men. I don't understand. Awesome. You know, when you're little, Christmas is all about gifts. And when you're small, you really focus on whether or not they're going to get you the right gifts. As you get older, the focus is still on gifts, only now the focus is are you going to get them the right gifts. And sometimes it's hard to figure out what you should get your family and friends. I heard about a woman who got tired of trying to figure that out. So she went out and she bought some cards that basically said, buy your own present, buy your own present. And then she wrote out checks and uh, she labeled stuff and she put it into the mail and that took care of her Christmas. About a week after Christmas, she was cleaning off her desk and she discovered all the checks she had written. (laughs) So her family and friends got a card, buy your own present. (laughs) Seemed like a good idea. (laughs) Uh, This Advent, we have been talking about gifts, the gifts of Advent, and we've talked about eternal life and grace, and last week, Larry did a great job talking about the Holy Spirit. This morning, we want to focus in uh, on the gift of Jesus. Um, I mean, that's why we give gifts at Christmas. It's to remind us that... uh, God has given us his gift. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave us his son. So we want to look at that this morning. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 9, chapter uh, chapter 9, verse 15, Paul calls Jesus the, the indescribable gift. And we want to wrestle with that. Why is Jesus the indescribable gift? Why is he such an incredible gift that that there are no adjectives that really can give him description? Uh, We want to look at that. And we're going to do that in a pretty simple way. We're going to do two things. We're going to, to look at who Jesus is, and then we're going to look at what Jesus did. Two things, pretty simple. Now, I want to let you know that everything I'm going to say this morning, you already know, all right? This, this is basic stuff. This, this is just the gospel. But it's also stuff that we, uh, we sometimes miss, especially this time of year for two reasons. One, we get distracted, right? There's a lot going on. There's presents to buy. There's meals to cook. There's people coming over and places to visit. Uh, we just get wrapped up in everything, which is normal. We get distracted, And so we don't have much time to ponder uh, what is really, what really happened and what we're really celebrating. And then second of all, it has become so familiar that that we we take it for granted. Um, I want us to push through that this morning and see if we can kind of hear it with fresh ears and see it with uh, fresh eyes. So... Who is Jesus? 
Well, the first thing to note is that Jesus is the God-human, the God-man, however you want to describe him. When we celebrate Christmas, what we're marking is that at a particular moment in time, God became flesh. I read about a little boy, five years old. He was in his first Christmas pageant. Uh, you know, those kind when you're small where you get your bathrobe on and you have sandals and you have a cardboard uh, crook. And he was, uh, he was a shepherd, not the lead shepherd, just uh, a, a common shepherd. And when the nativity came, everybody gathered around and he pushed himself to the front uh, so he could see. And having seen, he then made his way to the footlights and, and he, he shouted out, Mommy, Daddy, Mary had her baby, and it's a boy. <laughs> and it was a boy. And when it really happened, Mary took her hair and wiped the birth blood away. God had become flesh. He had entered into this world. And think about that. At that moment in time, the infinite became finite. That one who exists outside of time and space put himself into time and space. The omnipotent one <laughs> became weak. He had to be fed and he had to be nursed and he had to be burped and his diapers had to be changed. And the omnipresent one who is everywhere confined himself to the space of a human womb. The omniscient one <laughs> became ignorant. He had to learn how to read and to write and do his arithmetic. The one who was spirit put on skin. He became present. He became Emmanuel, God with us. Why would he do such a thing? Why? Well, I think it's because he wanted to become part of the story. Dorothy, Dorothy Sayers uh, was an English writer, and she wrote a series of detective novels. Uh, the main character in those de detective novels wa was a man named Lord Peter Wimsley. And uh, she wrote about half the series, and suddenly there appeared in the series a woman and the woman, what was kind of interesting in the stories, this woman was the first woman to graduate from Oxford. And in the stories, this woman was a, a mystery writer. And uh, when she entered into the story, uh, Harriet Vine, the woman, and Peter Wimsley, Lord Peter Wimsley, fell in love. And uh, uh, Wimsley, before this moment, was kind of a curmudgeon. He was a uh, a, a bachelor, an aristocrat with rough edges, not a very pleasant person. But when Harriet came, something happened and he was transformed. Well, what's really interesting in real life, uh, um, Dorothy Sayers was the first woman to graduate from Oxford. In real life, Dorothy Sayers was a writer of mysteries. You see, what happened is... Uh, Dorothy Sayers, in her creation, fell in love with its main character and wrote herself into the story so that she could heal him. 
That's exactly what God did for us. He wrote himself into the story so that he could come and heal us and his creation. And it happened at a very precise moment in time. Harvard University was uh, celebrating its 250th year anniversary, its founding uh, as a university. And when they did that, they had a, a, a torchlight procession where all the classes would march in. The, the most memorable one was the freshman class. It was less than a month old when it washed in, walked in, it, it marched in, it, it had this huge banner that said the university has been waiting 250 years for us. Galatians 4.4 says that at just the right time, God sent his son into the world. Uh, um, he became part of the story uh, written in at just the right moment. And in fact, if you go back into the scriptures, you can see that he was always intended to be part of the story. In fact, to be the hero of the story. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, at the very beginning, after the fall and everything is broken, we get this cryptic remark that someday the seed of the woman, a, 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 an heir of the woman is going to enter in. And that seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. But as he does, his heel will be bit. And that's strange, but it's a, 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 a little piece that gives you hope because then you begin to see hints of that story being played out. You see it uh, in a sense spoken of when we come across Abraham and Abraham is promised that his, his offspring will be a, a blessing to the world. You see it in the Exodus story when a lamb is killed and the blood is painted on the doorpost so that when the destroying angel comes, he will pass over that family. You, you see it in Moses as again and again, as they're wandering in the wilderness, he offers himself as atonement for the sin of the people. You see it, well, you see the prototype in David, the king. David is a good man, but not a perfect man. But uh, you begin to get a sense that someday there is a perfect king coming who will make things right and make th everything the way it should be and bring shalom. And then you read it in the prophets. Again and again and again, they talk about this, this, this Messiah, this anointed one, this figure who is going to come and transform the world and bring his kingdom. And then you come to Isaiah and he begins to set the expectation that all the, the nation of Israel was waiting for, this one who was going to be called a, a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, the, the prince of peace. And then you get to the gospel and you hear the angels tell the shepherds that this little baby being born in Bethlehem is the Christ. And this is good news, great news, grand news for all people because he is the Savior. He's written into the story. God becomes flesh. He comes 
But there's a twist in the story, right? Their expectation that this one was going to come as a king who was going to conquer. But when this baby comes, he comes as one who is going to suffer and serve. I, I like the way that George MacDonald puts it. He says, they were all looking for a king to slay their foes and lift them high. Thou camest a little baby thing that made a woman cry. You see, that's part of why Jesus is the indescribable gift, uh, a gift so incredible because of who he is, the God-man and the hero of the story. Um, but you also have to understand what he did. First of all, he, he lived the perfect life. He lived the life that you and I should have lived. It's interesting, when we begin to think about Jesus, oftentimes we skip over his, his life. I mean, uh, we get so focused on his death and the redemption that it brought that we don't uh, spend as much time in his life. It's, uh, go to the creeds that we believe in as a church and as God's people, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, <laughs> it, it says that he was born of a virgin and then suffered under Pontius Pilate. And you go, wait, wait a second, what happened in between those two things? <laughs> or in the Nicene Creed, it says he was incarnated by the virgin, Mary became human, and then was crucified. And you go, wait, 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 what happened? I, this guy was on earth for 30 years. He lived a life. And his life is part of the incredible gift that he gives us because when we look at his life, we begin to see what it means to love and what it means to be human and what it's like to be forgiven and to be a person of compassion. We learn what God expects of us to live like Jesus. And most of all, we, we look at Jesus and we get to see what God is like. God is like Jesus. He is Christ-like. And then when you listen to his words, you begin to, to learn about this thing called the kingdom, God's kingdom that he's come to establish and inaugurate in our midst. He lives the life that we should have lived. And then he dies, dies for sin. He dies the death we should have died. But what really is happening when, when, when Jesus, Jesus dies? Uh, there's an exchange going on. And, uh, that's key. Uh, we see it when we get to 2 Corinthians 5.21. There it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's as if God is saying, hey, I have a deal for you. Here's my deal. I will take all your sin. You take all my righteousness and we'll call it even. How's that deal? Not a bad deal. <laughs> Not a bad deal at all. So there's an exchange. And then when Jesus goes on the cross, it's not just the forgiveness of sin. There is something even more than that happening. There is a cosmic event going on because on the cross, Jesus defeats his enemy. He destroys all evil. He brings death to death. He defeats Satan. It's cosmic what he does. In a sense, on the cross, he is making all things right. And understand why he does that. It flows 
out of God's love. You know, there is no other religion that says God is love and then proves it by God giving his son to die. Uh, Romans 5.8 captures it, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died. And in him, we learn that we are far more sinful than we ever imagined and far more loved than we ever hoped. But his death is not the end of the story, right? Because he was buried and he was resurrected. And it's important to note that he was buried because when he's buried, it tells us that he was really, really dead. I I, I mean, the blood stopped flowing through his veins. He stopped breathing. His organs shut down. His body began to deteriorate. The brain waves ceased in his mind. He was dead, dead. And what's most significant is not simply his physical death, but in a sense, his spiritual death, because at the moment that Jesus dies, something beyond our comprehension takes place. There is actually a a, a rip in the very heart of the Trinity. Something is rended apart, because at that moment, the Son is separated from the Father because the Father is holy and the Son has now taken on all the sin of the world. And at that moment, Jesus experienced hell itself. Because that is the payment of sin that he paid. And just that notion is beyond our understanding. At that moment, he paid the price. But then the most amazing thing happens. He does not stay dead, but he is resurrected. Now understand, it doesn't mean that he was resuscitated. Being resuscitated is one thing. Being resurrected is a whole other ball game because when you're resurrected, it's a change. It's as if two dimensions of the natural and the supernatural are brought together. Jesus in some ways is like he was, but then in other ways, completely different. You can see that it's Jesus, but now his body can be touched and handled and you can put your fingers into his wounds, but he can appear and disappear and walk through walls. It's as if in Jesus, the dimensions of reality have all come together and now there are no boundaries between them. He's resurrected and he is simply the first of many because someday we, like him, will be resurrected as well. And in that resurrection, we see God's stamp of approval that his work was accepted, that the payment has been made, and now we can know God and experience eternal life. And usually that's where we kind of end the story. But folks, the story doesn't end there. Right, Jesus is resurrected and for 40 days, he meets with his disciples and he explains this thing called the kingdom of God and gives them an assignment to take the gospel of this kingdom, the good news of what he has done and the story that he is part of and take it to the ends of the world. 
And then something really strange happens. They're standing around, they're talking with Jesus, and suddenly he's taken up <laughs> into the sky. He just, he just floats away into the clouds, and they're scratching their heads. What just happened? But an amazing thing just happened. Uh, an amazing thing. He is taken up and he is put at the right hand of God. And that tells us two things. That because he is gone, we now are his body and we become his hands and feet. And our lives now are lived on assignment to accomplish his mission of taking the kingdom to the world. Because we're his representative. But even more so, now when he has ascended, he is taken to the right hand of God, which is the place of authority. And what that means is that he is now reigning as king. And all authority is in him. And if that is true, you know what we can do? We can breathe a sigh of relief. We can relax. Because he's got everything covered. Right at this very moment, Jesus reigns as king. He's got it all taken care of. But even that's not the end of the story, is it? Because what he told us and what he promised us is that at some day he was going to return. He was going to come back. And do you ever think of what that day will like, look like? When I think of it, I, I picture how he is described in the book of Revelation. The one who is faithful and true is coming on a white horse. He has a mantle on that is dipped in blood, his own blood that he shed for the world. On him is written a name that no one can read because it's so holy, only he knows what it is. His eyes are like blazing fire. His, he, on his head are crowns upon crowns, and he judges with justice, and following him as he comes are the legions of heaven, and first are the enemies he has defeated, Satan and death and evil and the principalities and the powers that he's going to throw into the lake of fire. And then behind them are those riding who are dressed in white linen, brilliant linen. And if you look, you can see Moses and all those that he led out of the land of Egypt. And then comes Joshua and the hordes of people that he led into the promised land. And then there's Gideon and his 300 and Ezekiel and his 7,000 who never bent the knee to Baal. And then there's Peter and all those who he proclaimed the gospel to and that believed. And then there is Paul and all the multitudes of people that heard the gospel of the kingdom from his lip and trusted in Christ. And then there are the lame and the blind and the deaf, the young and the old and the unborn and the poor and those who have been forgotten and mistreated by the world. And then come the great missionaries the ones who herald the gospel, who take the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the world so that the world may know that Jesus is, is king. And then there are the representatives of every nation, tribe, language, and people. And they're all following this one who is riding on the horse that has crowns upon his head, whose word is so powerful, it is like a sword coming out of his mouth. And all those legions, the regiments, the armies are marching and they cry out, he is Lord of Lord, King of Kings, God Most High. 
That's why he's indescribable. That's why he's an incredible gift. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. You see, all that is according to the scriptures. All that is the gospel of the kingdom. All that is the story that you and I have believed, that we have become part of, that we have given our lives to. That's what it means to be people of faith. It means to be part of that story. To be attached to him, an indescribable gift. The only question is, will we make Jesus our king? I like how Philip Yancey asked this profound question in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. He, near the end, says, why am I a Christian? I sometimes ask myself, and to be perfectly honest, the reasons reduced to two. One, the lack of good alternatives. And two, Jesus. Brilliant, untamed, tender, creative, slippery, irreducible, paradoxically humble. Jesus stands up to scrutiny. He is who I want my God to be. Do we want him, Jesus, to be our God, our King? our Savior? That's the question. And this morning, I want to invite you to take hold of the indescribable gift to give your life away so that you can get so much more back. Make him your king. Make him your Lord. Make him to you, God, most high. I want to end this morning by asking you to stand and read a responsive reading with me. It's a reading that reminds us of the difference that Jesus makes in life because it reminds us of what is true and what is not true in him. It is not true that creation and the human family are doomed to destruction and loss. This is true. For God so loved the world that he gave his only It is not true that we must accept inhumanity and discrimination, hunger and poverty, death and destruction. It is not true that violence and hatred should have the last word and that war and destruction rule forever. It is not true that we are simply victims of the powers of evil who seek to rule the world. This is true. To be the 
It is not true that we have to wait for those who are specially gifted, who are the prophets of the church before we can be peacemakers. It is not true that our hopes for liberation of humankind, of justice, of human dignity, of peace, are not meant for this earth and for this history. So let us enter Advent in hope, even hope against hope. Let us see visions of love and peace and justice. Let us affirm with humility, with joy, with faith, with courage, Jesus Christ, the life of the world.